A strange plague called the Getz is decimating humanity on a global scale. It causes people to forget small things at first, like where they left their keys, then not so small things like how to drive or the letters of the alphabet. Then their bodies forget how to function involuntarily, and there is no cure. But now, far below the surface of the Pacific Ocean, deep in the Marianas Trench, a near to four unknown substance hailed as ambrosia has been discovered. A universal healer, from initial reports, may just be the key to a universal cure. In order to study this phenomenon, a special research lab, the Triest, has been built eight miles under the sea's surface, but now the station is incommunicado and it's up to a brave few to descend through the lightless fathoms in hopes of unraveling the mysteries lurking at the crushing depths, and perhaps to encounter an evil blacker than anything one could possibly imagine. Hello, welcome to Arcanum Unbound, our monthly book club turned into a podcast. Our goal is to deep dig into fantasy, sci-fi, and any fiction that we can get our hands on and highlight the details that inevitably hide within. We're on the hunt for character building, setting, story, and everything in between. This month we're discussing The Deep by Nick Cutter, a psychological thriller sci-fi fiction book. So get your coffee, get your tea, get comfortable, and cuddle up with a loved one and enjoy the show. So again, welcome everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Jordan LeClaire, and I'm going to be your host today. Unfortunately, I don't have any guests, so it'll just be me. So bear with me while I try to figure out how to do a podcast all by myself. Um, just to start off, make sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, RYT Malfunction, on Twitch. And I live stream Tuesday, Wednesday, and Saturday at the same at. And uh, I hope to see you there. But... Uh, to start off real quick, I'd like to cover some of the strong points that the book highlighted. Um, I do believe, and this is going to start very abruptly at the end, that the payoff was worth the wait. So uh, one of the weak points that I follow up with as well is that it starts slow. And it's going to work and build and build. But for a psychological thriller, I very much believe that that is entirely worth the wait and that you should power through this book even if you have a hard time getting through the first, don't take this to heart, but about one third. I'm probably over-exaggerating a little bit, but it does take some time, and I do believe that it is worth that time. I do also believe that some of the nuance that comes with all that extra time helps pay off a lot. A lot of things that help the main character, Lucas, tie him to his old life and keep him grounded in theory, no pun intended, being eight miles underwater, But I think a lot of those points are really established in the first, well, throughout the book, but that first, I'll continue using 130, even though I'm probably not correct in how big of a chunk it is. But I really believe that it does pay off to have that slow going start. And I think Cutter does a great job of establishing and despite not getting a payoff for it until well into the end of the novel. Um, Like I said, some of the weak points is that it is slow rolling and I still do believe like I will say again and again and again I believe the wait was worth it but I do have a little bit of frustration that there's no payoff for the gets like there's no I know it's not supposed to be a happy ending which is what I'm familiar with in most of my like fantasy and fiction reading in the past especially considering the typical trope of good guy wins bad guy loses bad guy in this situation being the gets but this 
did not have any payoff at all, in my opinion, despite the Ambrosia saying that they just did it and that was it. Fantastic. I, I feel like that was a real missed opportunity, in my opinion. But I digress. Actually, I'm not digressing. Not digressing one bit, but that's fine. We're going to move on. Um, this might be a shorter episode, just forewarning. I'm used to having someone to bounce ideas off of. But I tried to write down more in my show notes, and I hope y'all bear with me and enjoy this regardless. Uh, so we'll get into the meat of everything, and we'll start with the setting. Uh, the Triest was a great, great setting in my opinion. I normally look for world building in these books, but Cutter uses the uh, real world, so there's not a lot to build. But the Triest is a microcosm of the setting of the whole book and because of that he has so much extra manipulation and that may also come from the fact that the triest is a submarine and it's all very localized and centralized and so he has all these different things that he can play with and he does a great job of doing it um some of the stuff that the the descriptions calling it spider like spidery and like just establishes very very quickly like what the tree is supposed to be for the reader and i find that incredibly interesting in that he's telling you almost straight up right at the beginning hey you're supposed to be scared of this thing even though it is a gradual change and it comes progressively especially as they realize that uh someone had died the man who built the tree has died alone down here and was never found one of the descriptions i did really really enjoy from cutter as well was using the marine snow and using what is essentially the dead zone underwater as something more literal. And I don't know if it was intentional, but if it was, absolutely all power to Nick Cutter. It was a great way to describe how desolate and empty it was, understandably, when you're eight miles below the surface in the Marianas Trench, but I feel like it really brought me in to understand what Lucas was feeling about the Triest and how he would understand something that doesn't make any sense to a veterinarian why on earth other than the loose plot point of clayton calling him down would he be in a submarine ever at all for by any circumstances so i feel like nick cutter really integrated the maybe not character development directly but he integrated the characters in the setting and i think it really paid off to allow the or me rather the reader to understand look you are in a strange situation with no control whatsoever. And Al helps establish this in regards to telling him as they're in the challenger diving deeper and deeper that she's the only one who will bring things up and down. Everyone stays down there no matter what. She's the only one who ever escapes. And as we find out later, that's very much not the case. But it does still help establish a very good foothold for a good setting. And I think that really helps the book pop off and just run with what they have going. Uh, so now I guess I'll move into the character development. And so naturally a psychological thriller like this is going to dive very deeply into character development, especially when you want to build up those characters like Nick Cutter did and then break them down very quickly towards the end and i think that really really paid off um but we will start with some of the scientists aboard the triest i did like the mini arc of clayton i really really did i really found that 
it was an interesting way to learn about Clayton, who'd been played up so, so, so much as someone devoid of emotions and completely empty and just did not care about anything other than his work. But then when Lucas learns about Clayton's past, then it becomes a completely new character, in my opinion, despite how quickly we lose him. I will say, though, and I do not need the physical description of and i'm not going to say it for the sake of everyone listening right now and i'm assuming everyone not everyone is going to feel the same way about this but i don't think the physical description of the abuse from uh their mother was necessary in the detail that it went to i did there was a level that it reached that was good but i'm not going to sit here and praise entirely when it really did throw me off and i guess i could you could count that as a bonus point if that's what you're looking for in these books but i was not expecting that kind of level of abuse so just forewarning that really threw me off and i wanted to be very clear about it despite how others might feel towards like the subject at the time while you're reading something like this um but i do also want to cover the westlake diaries the westlake diaries to me were fantastically done it shows the the incredibly quick descent when the ambrosia decides like yeah we're just gonna start messing with this guy it doesn't matter let's just let's we're gonna we're playing a game this doesn't matter to them these are ancient uh cthulhu-esque lovecraftian beings more or less and i wasn't really expecting that uh although it did seem to kind of come out of nowhere just as a little gripe on the side but it, it could have been worse I, I did enjoy it all things considered but back to the westlake diaries because i digress actually digress this time uh, I found the way that all the, I won't even say symbolism, but the way that the Westlake Diaries play out, and I'm not going to go into super in-depth with them because they're very straightforward, but the way that Cutter uses the Westlake Diaries to really establish the fact that the everything is not what it seems, and I really feel like that's the breaking point of the entirety of the book, Lucas totally, totally feels like he could win at prior to this in my opinion and as lucas continues to progress and read through some of the the westlake diaries it just becomes more and more apparent that westlake was the victim of the ambrosia and this gets built up more and more throughout and i guess you can relate this kind of just setting as well because the ambrosia is more of a, a set piece than an actual like antagonist in my opinion where they're talking about the hole in the submarine that's just a black void that you can put your hand into. And then this ties in later to Clayton having the same experience. So I really think what Wesley's diaries did for the story was fantastic. And maybe I should have saved that for the next section. But, oh well. Uh, I did like, I really, really did like what Cutter did with the bees as well. The the metamorphosis of the bees as the the ambrosia continued to infect everything and to overtake everything was fantastic fantastic and i really do think that it set up a very good understanding of just how incredibly powerful the ambrosia is and this helped also establish how powerless all the characters within the story were because the gets was most definitely played up to be something that is all-consuming. And the Ambrosia is the same thing. So I guess when you look into the connection between the Ambrosia and the Gets, it might be a little bit of a different story. But I feel like this really did foreshadow just how much control 
the ambrosia had and it did give some hints that the ambrosia was intelligent and a living creature but that is something that was covered throughout the book as well so i don't want to leave it to just the west like diaries but uh i guess we'll move on to our big big character now uh lucas i will let you know that i'm not going to be covering al too too much because i do consider her as like an anchor for lucas and i will get into that i just want everyone to know i'm not going to ignore her entirely but he doesn't get direct involvement into the ambrosia game initially and i think that's what helps keep the writing understandable in that he's learning all of this and despite how slowly it might feel through the writing it is happening what might be very quickly for lucas or very slowly the distortion of time definitely helped establish just how out of control things were and i guess that's a reoccurring theme now that i'm talking about it but it does play into a lot of what lucas experiences on the triest and in his life for example when things that connect him to the world begin to slowly dissipate and pull away is when you really notice that lucas's mental state is falling off so this is what i was discuss discussing discussing with myself sure why not this is what i was saying about the anchors though and i'm not saying that exclusively for a nautical pun but here we are and i'm going with it um one thing and this is going to sound so cheesy i and i don't know if i really believe it myself but i said that love was really something that anchored him down uh Feel free to rip me apart for that one. I might deserve it. But his love for LB, the dog, was an unconditional love, as most people, especially in the Western Hemisphere, is how most people understand their relationship with their pets, whether it's a dog, a bird, a cat. Like, it's unconditional. Like, you only have love for that animal, regardless of if they, they might nip at you or they bark at you or maybe they, they pee in the house. Who knows? But I think that using LB as a very straightforward and simple analogy for care and love from Lucas and something to keep him tethered to the world above and not completely sunk into the, the treeist was a great way to utilize that and keep Lucas somewhat tethered both to real life so he's relatable and you're not completely disassociated with the character. But additionally, to keep him tethered so you know how his mental state fares. Um, Alice is in... This is not... This is where the, my argument gets a little loose. Uh, is the new love, per se, in that there's, without being said, very much still an idea of feelings and romanticism in that situation, despite how platonic it may have seemed. Clearly... Lucas is having thoughts about this. It's like, oh, well, he makes note of her uh, physical features more frequently. Though you're not going to hear the opinion of Alice in that same regard, but very clearly Cutter put the understanding and the descriptions of Lucas almost romanticizing Alice in his own head. But I think that is still something that keeps him tethered because he does start to panic when she does not respond as they're crawling through debris. He panics when he realizes that he might have to leave her behind, but he still comes to it. And as he realizes he has to leave her behind, I think that's another just continuation of the plummet into madness that Lucas experiences. Uh, and I guess, and a family is another one that is the the old love, as I put it. And again, 
feel free to give me a, whatever criticism on this you want. Maybe I'm being a little cheeky about it. Who knows? That's fine with me. But it's important to acknowledge at least the family in the situation because we can talk about Clayton, we can talk about Zachary, or we can talk about his ex-wife. Like There are memories there, and there are things that Lucas wants and things that keep him attached to both his sanity and genuinely just the surface. For example, at the end, he did just, all he wanted was to hug his ex-wife again and tell her he was sorry. And I think that does still play into, as much as she was a smaller part of all these things, it does still play into the fact that he does still have love in his heart and he's trying to maybe not express it, but he's trying to use it as a last ditch effort to win his fight against the Ambrosia. Clayton's another one, though it's a little different because it's it's very much love-hate in this situation. And who knows if it's Clayton not feeling like he could protect his brother or what his coldness is directly related to, although it does clearly stem from the abuse from their mother, which is understandable. But there's no reason that Lucas would have made his way down eight miles below the surface into this incredibly dangerous situation without having at least some love for Clayton. And it does show as they're trying to escape the treeist. I really do believe that this makes a great character building point to just add in family. And I think this goes to authors in general. It's very easy to add family members and relationships with family members, whether they're good or they're bad. Definitely take a minute to be like, maybe, maybe they're related or they, they share similarities with siblings. And maybe they want to reconnect with those siblings in a moment of danger. Because I think that's really what it comes down to with Lucas as well. When things really hit the fan, the one thing that he does want to do is return to some kind of normalcy for one, but also to try and reconnect with his family. Uh, Zachary is another huge one, and this is not something I, I intended to gloss over. Because for a character that has technically been dead the entirety of the novel, Zachary plays a huge part. And understandably starts as the perfect happy memory that Lucas had and he tried to avoid the kidnapping situation but as the novel progresses Cutter definitely establishes that Lucas's memory is disappearing directly through the memories of Zachary the ambrosia plays into it uh creating these disgusting misshapen I guess, allegories or different forms, rather, of Zachary to just continue to push Lucas over the edge of what his like brain is capable of understanding and processing. I think the flashbacks and hardships in the past do also help establish Lucas as a great main character, despite how little he really does, in my opinion. I think he's still a great observer to a situation, and I think that helps build the psychological thriller up, not exclusively, like I was about to say, but it helps build it up because Lucas was not supposed to have control. So when everyone's helping him and everyone's doing things and everything's been, I won't say given to him on a silver platter, but when he hasn't had to actually struggle physically with anything, to have him established with flashbacks and that he was just a regular schmuck, regular hecking guy, regular veterinarian, just doing his job, and then it's like, oh, well, he actually went through a ton of trauma, and now 
that trauma is not just a part of his backstory, it's a part of the actual story and continues to help build up as time moves on. Uh, that's about all I've got for character building and whatnot. I'm sure I've missed plenty. I, I really do miss having someone to bounce these ideas off of, but that's okay. I feel like this is still a good conversation about this book. Uh, so I'm going to get into the story a little bit. And so we'll talk about the Ambrosia. I did enjoy that it turned from what was supposed to be a messiah and a cure for the Gets into actually the antagonist going through the, I guess, second half of the book. All of these time frames that I'm putting in the book are all relative. So if I get them wrong, just give me a pass, please. But regardless, the Ambrosia becoming the bad guy was a fantastic addition, in my opinion. It was a good way to subvert expectations, even though you could kind of see it coming. That is just an additional point, in my opinion, that allowing the Ambrosia to be almost obviously the bad guy, maybe not, maybe I say that because I finished the book already, but there was enough establishment that the Ambrosia may not be the cure that they thought, that when it does turn out to be this highly intellectual being, and something that's evolved beyond humans, effectively, it wasn't something that kind of hit me out of nowhere and was just a twist for the sake of a twist. It was something that was established, it was thought out, it was well done, in my opinion. And I think that really helped establish a lot of the story. Uh, I did like, as well, like I said earlier, how it takes over all the anchors that Lucas had and just slowly pulls them away and peels at them and takes bit by bit by bit and removes them from Lucas until he finally breaks down and they confront him. Additionally, the imagery that came from what the Ambrosia was doing to just toy with the scientists and Lucas and everybody else on the Triest as time went on made it very uneasy as I read the book. And I absolutely compliment Cutter for that because it wasn't so gruesome that I was uncomfortable but the descriptors and what I envisioned in my head made me un uncomfortable. I was unsettled, but I wasn't to the point of being completely disgusted. He really did a good job of bringing everything together and allowing the reader to really place the value that they're comfortable placing onto some of the, the more gruesome parts. He did also do a really good job of wrapping up the Ambrosia being a fully existential being, for lack of a better term. Like I called it before, it was a Cthulhu Lovecraftian-esque being, in my opinion, like an eldritch horror. But I think Cutter does a very good job of really selling that point when push comes to shove. The majority of the book does not focus on that but when it does rear its head nick cutter makes sure that its head is ugly and it is even juvenile to a degree in that their excuse for hurting everybody has just been for fun which is something you'd likely hear from a child in not understanding what the consequences of their actions are or not caring what the consequences of their actions are but that is about all I have on Nick Cutter's The Deep. So we will move on from the meat into the conclusion. And would I recommend this book? Yes, I would absolutely recommend this book. I already have. 
I've recommended it to someone who's actually a very big horror fan, and I'm curious what she has to say about it. If she she gives me some good bits, I will definitely tweet it out or put it into my Discord, uh, which can also be found via my Twitter on my pinned tweet. And another, the question that always comes up in the conclusion is, would you read a sequel or other books by this author? And absolutely I would. I'm very seriously considering doing other works by Cutter on the show. I really think this would make a great, great thing to discuss with someone else. I already feel like it's something I had a lot of things to say about as it is. So I definitely read more. I've read that The Troops, Troop, uh, the other novel, big novel rather, by Nick Cutter is another great read for different reasons, still within that horror genre. So I really do think that Nick Cutter is a, an author that should be looked into, and I look forward to reading more of his work going forward. Having said that, I would like to thank everyone for listening. As I said, this is my first solo episode of Arcanum Unbound, so I'm more than happy to hear your criticism on what I could have done better or what you enjoyed. I don't criticize what you enjoyed, actually. Just tell me you like stuff. That would be very nice of you. Thank you so much. But don't forget that next month's book is going to be Bioshock Rapture by John Shirley. And yes, it is that Bioshock from the games. And I'm happy to let everybody know that it'll be featuring my friend Nerdy Jane, our local Bioshock expert. I'm really excited to have her on the show, and I really hope you guys tune in and let me know what you like about that one as well. But everyone take care. Have a good rest of your day, end of your day, tomorrow, weekend, whatever. Thank you for listening. Yet again, I'd like to thank you all for listening. This was another episode of Arcanum Unbound by Jordan LeClaire. And I would just like to stress the work that my friends are doing right now. If you enjoy this and you'd like a similar podcast but featuring films, you should check out the Northern Critic Podcast. These are some good friends of mine who do great work. They discuss movies every week. They put a lot of passion into what they work on and a lot of passion into the movies that they watch as well. Most recently, they've done episodes on Blade Runner 2049, Blade Runner Final Cut, Train to Busan, Hotel Transylvania, and even Shrek 2. Yes, they are all-stars. They are going to get their game on. They're going to go play. Make sure to give them a look. I'd really appreciate it. You can find them on Spotify and probably other podcasting places, but I personally haven't checked it. I'm sorry, but I really appreciate everybody. Have a good one. Take care.